Good morning, Dodgers and Travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. I'd like to start out by saying um, Happy Easter to those of you who celebrate this, and Happy Passover uh, for those who celebrate that. And, and if you don't celebrate either one, well, we're still we're still happy. I'm sure there's something else to celebrate. It's Sunday. <laughs> it's Sunday, and we also have lined up. Um, what we were calling a cheesy program, yeah. although that doesn't relate to the holidays in any way. It's pre- pretty amazing to manage to find a whole program about cheese. Cheese, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheese is a big thing. Cheese is a big thing, yeah. When it was in Pittsburgh, the, uh, the, the American Cheese Society. American Cheese Society had, what, 2,500 cheeses? I think or? something like that. We, yeah. We... Uh, we sampled most of them, and we're just recovering nicely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was several months ago. But anyways, starting starting out today's program, Paula Lambert is really a very remarkable lady. She certainly is. A, uh, quite a, a soft-spoken, white-haired Texan. You you wouldn't you wouldn't believe the things she's been able to pack into her career. And one of those things which we caught up with her to talk to her about is cheese. So here's Paula, who taught herself how to make mozzarella and a whole lot of other things to do with cheese. It's been some time since we talked to Paula Lambert of the Mozzarella Company. And I'm so excited to be talking to you again, Paula. You've come such, I mean, way back when you were just starting up, it was such a novelty to have mozzarella cheese being made in Texas. I know. Well, but you know, I had lived in Italy uh, before I made cheese, and I loved Italy, and I loved all the tastes and the flavors, and nothing was really available back in 1982 when I started. So uh, I just found out how to make it and started making it. Yeah, I mean, mozzarella. Did you, by the way, did, did you ever run across the people who were making mozzarella out of Milk from Colombia? Uh, <laughs> from Venezuela, I found some. Okay, well, right, right, right next door in Colombia, somebody else is doing it, and appa- apparently they, they imported buffaloes to clear the forests or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> then they yes, had to figure out well, what to do with the milk. Yes, I, I, I didn't know about the ones in Colombia, but I do know about the ones in Venezuela, and uh, it was from a very nice family, and they sent their daughter up to Dallas, and she learned to make cheese with me. And she was just delightful. Oh, no kidding. They must be undergoing hard times right now. Yes, I just wonder what's happened to them. Let's get a fundamental question out of the way. I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Where 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 do you get your buffalo milk from? We don't use water buffalo oh, milk. You don't. We okay. use cow's milk. Okay, there you go. And uh, in Italy, the you know, they make the mozzarella, some mozzarella from water buffalo milk, and that's called buffalo mozzarella. Yeah, we've and then that. the one that's made from cow's milk is called fior di latte, which means flour right. of the milk. Right. And uh, and they keep the um, the buffalo hidden because we can never see them. <laughs> well, they keep them in barns. In Italy, they keep nearly all their animals in barns. You never see them out grazing. They kept saying to me, well, they're out there. You just can't see them. <laughs> then, then we, then we, yeah, well, maybe you were driving too fast. <laughs> we, we, we took the proper road after that, and we saw some. So, yeah. so, so, 
So, but you, okay, you were living in Italy, and you decided when you came back to Texas that there wasn't anything like the mozzarella you had in Italy, and that's what set you off, huh? That's exactly right. Uh, I I had loved it when I was, lived there, and when I'd go back to Italy, I would always have a mozzarella and tomato salad, and I thought, well, you know, nobody else is making it. I'm just going to make it, and uh, it worked out fantastically. Now, where were you in Italy? I was living in Perugia, which is between oh, yeah, Florence right. and Rome. Oh, yeah. we've been there, sure. In Umbria. Yeah, I went to a school in Florence. And oh, yes. Yeah, and, and, but actually, I did that um, instead of Perugia, because most American students went to Perugia. And I, I knew a professor at the um, art history department in Florence, the university, and so we went there. And um, uh-huh. yeah, so that was fun. Perugia is nice. There's a there's a wonderful family that makes chocolate. Yes, oh, yeah, yes. That's yeah. In, that's in Perugia. Yes. Well, uh, the thing I liked about Perugia was you were in a small town, rather than Florence was bigger and uh, Rome and everything. And I liked Perugia and. They had a wonderful university for Italians there, and then they had a whole university for foreigners, and it yeah, was called the University Per Stranieri. Yeah, yeah. And so the people that were studying Italian were from all over the world, and the only way you could talk to them was in Italian. Uh-huh. I so, loved it. So Wait. you've been going back ever since? Yes, I have. And in fact, now I have a uh, travel business. And I take people to Tuscany right. for to stay in a villa for a week, and we visit the little towns nearby and cook dinner together at night. That sounds great. And how do people find out on your website? It's on the Mozzarella Company website under travel. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Wouldn't we have fun? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, no, no, you, you started you, out with one cheese. Yeah, you have expanded quite a lot. Yes, I have. I started with one cheese, uh, fresh mozzarella, in 1982, and then we made ricotta from the way of the mozzarella curds. And then my second, that was my second cheese, and my third cheese was creme fraiche. Oh, yeah. It really wasn't a cheese. Right. It was a milk product. And I had heard that uh, Neiman Marcus bought creme fraiche, and if I made it, they would buy it from me. <laughs> oh, wow. So anyway, so that was my next one. And then uh, I had to, uh, there was no way to learn to make the cheeses in the United States at that time. And so I went to Italy and I always went to little cheese factories and learned from them and then came back home and created my own recipes for all the cheeses that we make. And you you have a number of Italian-inspired cheeses. Yes, those were all my first ones. And uh, things like Cachota and Crescenza, Mascarpone, uh, all those mozzarella, all those cheeses were just common everyday cheeses in Italy and we didn't have them here. No one had even heard of tiramisu when I began. Yeah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> I know. And mozzarella and tomato salad was a new thing. No one knew oh, about it. Funny. It's so it's amazing how time changes things, huh? 
It really is. It's great, though. It's we've come a long way. So um, now you also, though, of course, being in Texas, you're so close to Mexico. Um, that was another area of exploration for your cheeses, right? Yes, it was. I met uh, early on. I met this wonderful uh, lady, girl, woman in Mexico named Patricia Quintana. And she had written a book called The Taste of Mexico, and it was like the first coffee table beautiful cookbook, and it was all about the different Mexican regions and the products and the food from the different regions. And so uh, I went to Mexico with her many times and learned how to make cheese on teeny tiny little farms. And so that was just very inspirational. And then another thing that was happening was uh, we in in Texas they were developing southwestern cuisine, and that was with uh, Stephen Powell and Bering, right. Robert Del Grande, Mark Ooh. Miller, all those people. Where and are so they all now? They are all great. I was just at Stephen Powell's new restaurant yesterday. Really, what's it called? It's called Flora Street Cafe. Okay. And it's fantastic. It's in Dallas, and he's about to begin a brunch menu. And so it was delicious. We had the most wonderful things yesterday. Oh, wow. And so anyway, he's good. He and I do lots of trips together. We just got back from Cuba. Did, oh, tell us about that. The, well, that was wonderful. I went to Cuba the first time in 2001, so it has changed so much. I mean, there's a lot of poverty, but the people, you know, are all happy, and there's more of uh, 90% of the people in Cuba work for the government. And, you know, they don't make much money, but they have, they're taken care of. They have their housing and they have their medicine all from the government and but now they're beginning to have small restaurants in people's houses those have become legal and another thing that's legal is people are renting out rooms in their houses and making little hotels so uh they that's you know free enterprise almost Peladares, right Uh uh-huh yes um now, uh, there are two things. I want to talk to you about your, your cheeses, but I wanted to interject something else. Um, is that I, talking before we run on the air, I asked you about where you fit in this thing that's going on in all the artisanal food, specialty food productions, is a consolidation in the industry, which essentially is a kind of a nice way of saying all these fine artisanal small companies are being bought up by the giants and and including in cheese I mean the, you, you ran through a list of them that I didn't even know about who had been yes, bought up uh, that has really been occurring in our artisanal cheese world for the past maybe three or four years maybe five I think that one of the first was Cypress Grove and uh, then uh, that's a California company, the one that makes Humboldt Fog, Mary oh, yes. Keen. And Mary then Keen. now uh, Redwood, Jennifer Bice has sold her uh, goat production and yogurt production. Calgary Creamery has sold right, that's uh, Vermont Butter and 
cheese, which became Vermont Creamery, has sold to Land of Lakes. And, oh, uh, wow. I think that Rogue has sold to Tillamook. I'm not 100% on that. But they're all, it's either European or American, big, big companies buying the smaller companies and uh, for, you know, for the reputation and the name. And then the big companies have incredible distribution and sales forces. And It's not the same. Well, I don't know. You know, it's people's choices. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mary Keene says that she still pretty much directs the uh, the quality and the formulas and, you know, the, that sort of thing. The flavor, you know, the, what she's uh-huh. the product development itself. So well, that's you know that's good. I mean, she's very good at what she does. Uh-huh. And uh, so at the shows, you know, when we go to the fancy food show, uh, I I see her. She comes sometimes. So I, I of course, I'm still there doing my thing. I'm in the booth <laughs> all the time, <laughs> passing out the cheese. I love it. Now, but you did something. You sold the company to your employees. I did. I sold the company to my managers, and they had all been with me for a long time. And uh, we financed it so that they could afford it. And uh, it's just wonderful because we still have the same employees. We still make the cheese exactly the same. It's just that they're in charge like they always were. Oh, but Paula, I think that's just beautiful. Well, I'm I'm happy for them, and uh, it it gives me a little bit more time. And but I'm still there every day, so uh-huh. I love it. Yeah, uh, we, you know, for the first time, because uh, we're based in Pittsburgh, for the first time we had the American Cheese Society um, annual meeting here this past year. I know I missed it because I was on a I, I was doing a cruise. And I hated to miss it, but uh, it was I love Pittsburgh. I just love it. It's a wonderful city, and I'm like so glad too. all the cheesemakers were there. They like they enjoyed it. I got so many letters from um, the cheesemakers saying how much they enjoyed the city. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. So it was it was fun. I mean, it, Never seen so many cheeses though in one place in my whole entire life. Did you at the festival of cheese? Isn't it just incredible? Oh, there are like two thousand cheeses. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I think they had. They did have twenty five hundred. I think was it? It was a lot. Oh, was it that many? I know it was well, a, lot. a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, but um, okay. Let's talk about your cheeses now, because you have such an array. I perked up when I saw um, you were sent a press release out for a new cheese that won an award called Bering Vesa. Isn't that, yeah, Beer Vesa. It's because it's it's washed with with beer as it ages and it has a little beer in the cheese itself stirring with the curds and so it has this wonderful yeasty beer taste. Did you like it? Yes, we, we did. We just, we just tried. We were trying to define. We were trying to figure out exact, exactly what it was. It is a, it's an different. ale that's made at a little brewery very close to our factory okay. in Dallas. Wow! Now there's another. There's another one that was a blue cheese. Oh, we love that. Which you sent us. Oh, that's my. I love that one. That's called Deep Ellum Blue. That's it. Yes. Oh, it was gorgeous. 
Thank you. And so it's a it's a cow's milk cheese, and so is birvesa. And uh, the deep alum blue is rubbed with penicillin roqueforti, which is the mold that's in roquefort cheese in no, France. It tastes good, yeah. Okay. And it, but it's only on the exterior, so it's not as strong uh-huh. as a lot of blue cheeses that have the veins inside. Oh, I was gonna, I was going to ask you about that. So it's so the. The, 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 there isn't intended to be any veins going through the cheese. No, it, no, no veins at all. And, you know, to get the veins, it's, uh, the needles are inserted into the cheese right. to create channels that, uh, where air can go and be trapped. And where the air goes and is trapped, that's where the blue veins develop in a blue, in a regular blue veined cheese. Now, did you did you know the story of how the guys at Rogue Creamery got started? <laughs> no, I don't know that story. You know, it was started by the family of Ig Vela from yeah. Vela in Sonoma County in well, California. Well, there, there was there was there was an elderly Italian gentleman, Italian American uh-huh. gentleman. They, they, they told they told us, and he, he smuggled some some of the Roquefort. Penicillin out, out of the caves and brought it. Brought it oh, to, really? Brought I it hadn't Oregon. heard that. That's great. <laughs> and, and the and the guys who the guys who developed the company apparently must have been in love with cheese. So they asked him if he would teach them how to make cheese, and he said yes, he would. And that's how Rogue Creamery got started. I just didn't know that. It has such a wonderful reputation for so many years. So that's a great to know that story. Oh, it is. It's frightening. The only problem is it's frightening how expensive it is. Oh, it well, is. And well, it's not only that it's expensive, is it? They, it's hard they, to get. You, you can't even get it for yeah. the most part. It's such a, uh, such a demand for Well, they it. have a lot of different uh, cheeses at Rome. Sure. Yeah. Um, almost, almost as many as you do, you know, Oh, I think probably more. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you, you started uh, with the Spanish cheeses, getting uh, different flavorings like um, the jalapeno. Yes, well, that was, uh, well, for instance, originally, that's how I was talking about Southwestern cuisine. When the young chefs were getting started in that, they were using all these chilies and herbs that we had never heard of. And so I would make the deliveries and go to the restaurants and find out what Stephen and Dean and all of them were doing, and they'd tell me, and I would run back to the factory and try to put those flavors into my cheeses. <laughs> and so, and then, you know, I did it for Rick Bayless. I did it for everybody. And I would just take these things, these flavors, and incorporate them into the cheeses. And so that we've been doing that all along. And then... Uh, did you try the Oja Santa goat cheese? Yes, and that's, see, I wanted to mention that you, you branched out into goat um, milk cheeses, too. I, yes, I did, uh, way back in the 80s. And, uh, oh, that's uh, that early, huh? Yes, it was, uh, I'll never forget, I was, I wanted to make goat cheese, and uh, I went, I met the people from Dean and DeLuca, and they've set me up with a factory in Italy to go learn to make the goat cheese in Italy. Wow. And so when I went over there, I went to this factory, and it was in 
January or February, it's real cold, snowing and everything, and I drove up on this mountainside to learn to make this cheese, and I walked into this cheese factory where I had an appointment. They knew I was coming, and I said, oh, you all aren't making cheese today. Will you be making cheese tomorrow? <laughs> and they said, oh, no, lady, don't you know, goats don't give milk in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know and that so I, I can't. I bought a book by some French nuns in Montreal and tried to experiment with how they did it and created the recipe myself. Oh. <laughs> Goats no, don't no. give milk in the winter. <laughs> no, no, nothing like planning ahead. Paul, huh? <laughs> so anyway, you know, it was a lot of live and learn at the beginning. I'm sure it was. So now, what? Led you to these, I don't know what you call these, the rolled things like the jelly Oh, roll that things. was at the very beginning because, you I know, I only knew those. how to make the mozzarella and the ricotta and I wanted to have more products. And so I had heard that there were people that would take the mozzarella and layer it in something like a loaf pan or something, sort of the way they do mascarpone tortas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at Tex in, in, uh, Milano. And so I uh, thought, well, I'll just roll it up like a jelly roll. And so then when I went back to Italy to uh, see the people who had taught me how to make the mozzarella, I told them about it and they said, oh no, that's the worst thing we've ever heard. How could you dare adulterate our mozzarella? It's supposed to be pristine and pure and you are ruining it. It's just so American. And I said, well, it sells. <laughs> and so then they said, oh, it's just terrible. It's just too American. And so it was because I was putting these different fillings in the mozzarella when it was stretched out flat on the table and then rolling it up like a jelly roll. And so then uh, I go back and visit these people all the time when I go to Italy, and I always see their mozzarella rolls in their case uh-huh. now. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's great, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so anyway, but that was just from the very beginning a way to have more flavors. I was always trying to, you know, think of another way to to sell the cheese. Yeah, I mean, you use rosemary. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's really not born by any means from such a variety. Well, I know. It's, I just love It's fun to create these cheeses. And uh, the new owners of the mozzarella company, Ross and Maurizio, they are, he, they are the ones who created that Menonina with the jalapeno oh, yes. in it, which is like a chihuahua cheese. Uh-huh. And uh, they came up with the idea for the dolce habanero. And so, you know, they're, they're making up cheeses too. Oh, well, that's great. And we have uh-huh. the dolce habanero. You know, uh-huh. Well, I, I, I think that what we ought to, make sure we put in here is well two things one um that the quality of this cheese is really extraordinary i mean that's something that you you see you've been doing it since the 80s i mean the quality just seems getting better and better and better as well as the variety and also uh where where do people find it well you can buy it online through our uh website okay which is M-O-Z-Z-C-O, Mozco, like Mozzarella Company, right. dot com. And then uh, around in Texas, we can 
we sell to grocery stores, and we sell to some cheese distributors everywhere. And you can just find it all sorts of different places. I, when you sell to a distributor, you don't really know where it is. Oh, true. That's true. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So come to us, and we'll help you. Okay. Now, I one other little question here is like. Why is it that all of a sudden everybody has dairy allergies? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's funny. Uh, when I wrote my first cookbook, uh, I did a lot of research on lactose intolerance because right. I knew that there was something about lactose and I didn't know the whole thing. Well, what I discovered is that if you make cheeses with cultures and rennet, then that means that the lactose, that's the sugar in the milk, is converted into lactic acid as the cheese develops. And so there's really not very much lactose in cheeses that are made from cultures in rennet. And those are the traditional cheeses. But if you have something like mascarpone or some of that deli mozzarella, things like that, where it's made with direct acidification so that the milk is acidified by adding an acid instead of a culture which would grow and grow and change the lactose into lactic acid, you're going to still have the lactose in the cheese. Yeah, and, and you don't have that, whatever it is that counteracts that, once you're not, no longer a baby. I mean, that's, you know, babies have it built into them because that's what they consume. Milk. Uh huh. It's lactose. But then you. the mother's milk. Yeah, and then as you get older, uh, a lot of people, some ethnic groups more so than others, uh, lose the the ability to uh, digest that. Yes, and that's sort of an evolutionary thing that's because they're, in some, in some ethnic groups, they have not had milk as part of their diet for their whole lives. Yeah, the Asians. Yes, exactly. Uh, So anyway, there is lactose intolerance, but uh, there is also a dairy allergy. And uh, those are two distinct and very different things. Yeah, our daughter, uh, our our granddaughter has that. It's not lactose intolerance. It's something having to do with the milk proteins. Oh, yes. Well, can she uh, have sheep's milk or... See, I I always told my daughter-in-law that she should be fine with goat's milk uh-huh. because of also the sheep's milk. There was a famous woman in England who did a lot of studies on that about how good sheep's milk was for you, and especially if you had those allergies. Well, Paula, I have to tell you, I mean, I there's a part of me that doesn't believe in any of this with the allergies. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just saying that, like. Um, when they they say an intolerance, at the same time they say an allergy, they're two different things. And and our granddaughter um, consumes almond milk, but she eats cheese. <laughs> uh, well, see, the cheese doesn't have the lactose in it, but it is a dairy product, so yeah. it's hard to know. Yeah. Well, it's been delightful talking to you. Well, and thank I'm you. So I've just loved it. You, you what? You, you just love talking? I love <laughs> visiting with you. It was wonderful oh, to hear yeah, your voice again. Paula, and, and maybe we'll catch up. If, if We're not sure if we'll be at the Fancy Food Show or not. Are you going to the summer one? Uh, yes, I'll be at the summer show, and I hope to see you there. Okay, dear. 
Take Thank you for calling. Goodbye. Bye. And if you don't think that's a cheesy story, wait till the next one. <laughs> hang, hang in with us because we'll be back after a short break. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Um, I always love finding a new product, and I, I love the fact that, that young people are finding themselves in an entrepreneurial situation. As our next guest is uh, Tomas Pergola, and uh, he's, he's really rivaling one of the most established snacks that that you ever heard of. I won't mention the name yet. I'll mention his product, and then we can talk about it with him. It's a cracker, a new cracker, and I love them, called Chetty's, Chetty's Crackers. So here's Tomas. Tomas. You know, we have a new fixation, and it's um, it has a funny name. It's called Chetty's. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, it's a cute name, but the product is a very serious product. So um, we went through every, I think, how many flavors did we go through, Tomas? Yes, you uh, you guys received four different flavors of ours. Okay, well, we we went through all of those, fighting with each other, who was going to get the next one. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't forget you promised to send us more. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, we, so, we have your address now. You can't, you can't just take the Chetty's. <laughs> well, so, so the people that we're talking about, the founders of this new company called Chetty's, uh, are brothers, Francisco, um, or Francesca, Francis, Francisco, Francisco. Uh, Tomas Pergola, and um, it's a, an interesting story. Uh, we'll talk about the story a little bit before we get to the actual product. And then we can drool over that. Uh, the the Pergola brothers, and they're fairly close in age. Did you what, mid twenties? That's right. So uh, I'm 23, and my brother is uh, 25. So. And you already have a viable company that's going to grow. I can predict that oh, safely. Um, let's jump back. Your father is a nephrologist, and mm-hmm. so um, you know he was dealing with kidney patients. And uh, one of the bad things, if you're on dialysis, is junk food. Um, and what do people snack on? So, well, you yeah. you put in your way of thinking. I mean, what was the path you followed to to figure out what you needed to do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, uh, thank you again for for having me and for um, introducing us to to this uh, opportunity. I know we're we're excited to share our story with you guys and. Um, so we started about three years ago now while Francisco and I were wrapping up college. Um, he was getting his master's thesis in architecture and interior design. And so we, growing up, we'd always heard these horror stories from our father at the dinner table. Uh, you know, these, his patients are there in the waiting room, you know, getting treated for uh, kidney failure. 
and they're eating a bag of Doritos before they go get, <laughs> you know, they, before they go receive treatment. And of course, um, a big issue that creates something that creates a lot of issues is, is you know, bad diets and, um, you know, just weight. And so, you know, the high amounts of sodium and, and all these, you know, things that come with traditional snack foods. And of course, they're very uh, affordable. But at the same time, you know, the vending machines and the all the doctor's offices at the same time, you know, they have Doritos and Cheetos and all, all these yeah, well, they, junk they food items. They have to build there. in addiction, yeah. addictive um, taste exactly. flavor. I mean, that's the same thing McDonald's has. I mean, anybody who wants to, to sell that kind of stuff and puts in, yeah. oh, how about cigarettes even? You know, you know? So there's right. an addiction yeah. involved here. But anyhow, you realize... You just can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, so Francisco realized that he just was doing his thesis there and improving the weight room experience for these individuals, for the patients before they go get treated. And one thing he learned was that this food was a massive part of their community. So they're there for three to four days a week up to uh, three uh, hours a, at a time. So Jeez. they get to know each other. It becomes part of their culture. And, and food is a central talking point, And they're always sharing all their snacks. And he just got to thinking, well, you know, they shouldn't there's just nothing out there that they're familiar with, that they're comfortable with, that they, that's even remotely related to what they're used to, something that's crunchy, cheesy, has this umami, everything that, that's prescribed to them, per se, by the physicians is maybe a chewy, sweet protein bar or a shake, right? So nothing that they're really comfortable with. And so we saw this as a great opportunity to maybe create our own sort of line of snacks that fit this crunchy, profile. And so after about a year of uh, research and and kind of just test trials in the kitchen at home, we presented this idea to the dietitians in this community and had a huge following. I mean, just right off the bat, we were doing pretty much uh, door-to-door sales like Girl Scouts, selling our crackers to these clinics and doctor's offices. And the biggest thing that became uh, obvious to us was that in order for this to work, and especially at a good price point for for the specific community, was availability and distribution. So we began the battle to enter retail spaces with an old brand, medical grade, named Well Nutrition, spelled kind of weird. And uh, we quickly found out that it just wasn't going to work with the average consumer. But the it one thing we sexy. did was... I mean, it didn't sound sexy. Well, now, hold, hold on. No, the, the other, definitely was not. The other, the other thing we haven't mentioned is th- th- there was there was another sizable competitor in that space called Cheez-It. Mm, yeah, exactly. So, well, so you needed to overcome them as well, I guess. Well, we're still on that battle. <laughs> good, 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 uh, good luck to you guys. Yeah, you're you're yeah. gonna ha- you're gonna help me get our our grandchildren off of Jesus. Oh gosh, they've come well, out with the, a new one, you know. Jesus, they have a new yeah. whole whole grain one or something with ridges. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so then came this battle for the retail space, this new market. We, I mean, as you mentioned, exactly that. There, there truly was no other competitor in our eyes that fit what we are building. So there's about three years ago, I mean, the market's changed completely since then, but three years ago, the only thing that you could find was protein bars, shakes, and popcorn was just now becoming, was coming up on the rise. So this idea of a salty, crunchy, better for you snack option was was far and few in between. So uh, we really thought we had something on our hands, and to this day, we still do. 
right? Uh, so the closest right. thing to what we're doing is these palm crisps or uh, baked cheese products, and we don't feel as if they fit or fulfill the same role that we're trying to accomplish. So our key mission has always been uh, become the middle ground, the stepping stone for improving consumer behavior. You know, it's a lot of times we live in our world in, our, uh, in these two extremes. You know, we're either indulging and eating the best of the best, and we really just love what we consume, or we're dieting and we're limiting our, you know, just taking it too far to an extreme. And we truly believe with Francisco that uh, this world is about, you know, finding moderation and, you know, making the right decision every day rather than pushing yourself to make an extreme one for half the year. So that's how Teddy's became this idea of let's just help people get to the middle, make a better improvement in their in their snacking choices every day rather than deciding to just cut it all out at once. Have you been following the, have you been following the battle over the uh, of the co founder uh, and CEO of Twitter? Um, a little bit. Yeah. He came bit. out with his his so called diet which involves um eating only one meal a day hmm. and nothing on weekends. And there are other things involved with that too, like yeah. meditation and walking something and like uh, fasting until after seven PM or something just wild. I don't know how you I know. could do it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he makes it work. He probably, extreme. He, he probably smokes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You, you were Definitely. you were you were either very smart or very lucky to be able to get the trade name that you got, Cheddies. I mean, oh gosh, Cheddies yeah. just grabs you just the right way. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, we we like to to press our our consumers and just everyone we we run into to say Cheddies without cracking a smile or just brightening <laughs> up your day. So. Yeah, we were uh, sitting at a trade show um, about one year ago now, uh, a little bit longer, a year and a half, with our old brand name, with our old packaging, and quickly found out that we, we needed to make a change. The industry leaders that we are coming across and having conversations could not even pronounce well. They didn't even know what we were doing. It's so we sat down there in the convention center. Francisco pulled out the U.S. patent and trademark search engine and we just started spitting things out and we wanted to have something that was familiar to to what we're doing what our product is about i mean our main ingredient is cheddar cheese it, it really is a big part of of what we've created uh we realized that these products that have existed in the market for hundreds of years you know the cheese it's the doritos the cheetah all these guys have a familiar name but it's kind of made up it's kind of fun it's kind of silly why 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 should we call ourselves protein power crackers or, or what have you? You know, that's just not sexy, right? Like right. We, we want to be approachable by families and by and be able to be sitting on top of a an office desk or in a school lunchbox or in an airport or at the Starbucks line. You know, we we want to have this all encompassing sort of of name. So definitely, we heard, we spoke Teddy's. We we just started saying it, and it, it just felt so right. There's a person you should meet sometime, however. She's in Portland, Oregon, and her mm. product is called Mary's Gone Crackers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
I never thought that <laughs> would fly. That's, and pre- it that's, is. that's pretty good. She's really. Uh, she's, she we, sold I out. live she, on those things. She sold out for a lot of money, I think. She did, but she's still in charge of new product development. She says. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the goal is you, you build up this brand and then you sell it to somebody with a lot of money. And you can do another product if you want after that or stay on. But anyhow, so your packaging is is quite convenient, too. You have that resealable strip. Mm. Um, yeah, thank you. And that's all been done in-house as well. So that was a big effort of ours was just to bootstrap as much as we could just between the two of us. And that was... I mean, design. And well, yeah, your brother's in design, so that that exactly. doesn't help. Now, do do you actually make do you actually make these things? That's right. Yes. I mean, you so, don't you don't buy them in from somebody else who makes lots of crackers. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, gosh, good, no. good, we're, good. We are super proud of the fact that. So it took us. We went to seven different manufacturing facilities across six different states to find our home to make this work. So, our 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 product is actually incredibly unique in the industry uh, in terms of manufacturing and what the formula actually looks like. We, it's a whole patent, you know, trade, trade secrets, right? But uh, the idea was that uh, we quickly found out from the line operators, from food scientists, from, I mean, you name it, everyone we talked to that worked at this scale had never seen a dough like ours in the, in, in the history that they worked with. And, Time and time again, they said, you know what, it'd be way easier if you just use some sort of cheese powder or oh, no. <laughs> uh, if you cut your if you cut your your dairy content in half, you know, oh, oh man, we could make this work like a dream. Mm-hmm. And just, we stuck by our guns. We said, we know we can make it at home at five pounds. We found a way to make it at a hundred pounds. And so now, I mean, the, what, the biggest hurdle we just cleared uh, as of six months ago was now we can make it. Uh, 1,500 pound batches at a time and crank out a truckload of chetties in a day. So, uh, we definitely spent a lot of time and effort in operations and making sure that this product was our own and not just from a, a cookbook. And, and where, and where are you physically? So we are headquartered at San Antonio. Right. And, uh, I cannot disclose oh, okay. our manufacturing well, facility. Well, then, no, then no. I won't. No, no, no. We no. don't need that. No. Oh, um, no, yeah. But what did your dad biggest, say? Uh, what did you do? Oh think? gosh, <laughs> he's happy. Well, first of all, I will say this: they are the most supportive parents. I mean, you could ask for. So we actually moved back home after college. Have actually been living here since, and they are. Oh man, they're the first to ask about it when we wake up, and the you know the last thing you think about when they go to sleep. And so <laughs> they keep them involved, and and they're they're they love it. They they absolutely are super supportive, and they're happy. I think. Uh, it definitely took a lot of patience and, and understanding. It doesn't make a lot of sense to enter the CPG world, the consumer packaged goods. It's, it's terribly competitive. <laughs> yeah, it's no. slim margins no. and you're fighting for brand loyalty between consumers who've been making the same purchase for, you know, years. Yeah. So, and so it definitely did a lot of <laughs> yeah. You know, we didn't end up using our degrees. For what we got them for, so it was it was definitely a little bit strange, and I will say this: it's now become just an absolute blessing to to have in our lives. I'll say that. Um, well, you know, now uh, you said um, something. Did you say to me? You said, uh, "Don't expect them to taste like cheeses." 
Mm. You know, mm-hmm. but actually they they taste like, but they're better because they taste cleaner. Yes. Um, they're yes. so that obviously big, cleaner. That was a big thing of ours was we wanted it to be familiar in the sense that your 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 expectations are for them to be like your traditional cheese cracker. And then when you have them, it's, it's a whole other experience that you weren't necessarily expecting. And so... You get a lot more real, clean cheese flavor that that's a little bit subtle at first, but starts to build up on itself as it builds. Like as your palate gets used to the cheese quantities of cheese. It's also about it. It was important for us to uh, keep the uh, amount of wheat flour and in, in, in gluten and, and starches and give it that crispy texture. Because at the same time, we wanted it to be a cracker and not a cheese puff or a crisp. It was important for it to be. To play in that cracker world, uh, not not in its own category. I, I, I think we wanted that to really be a central point, the texture and the flavor profiles. And then, uh, of course, we released three new flavors at the start of this year. So on top of our original cheddar cheese, we have garlic parmesan, white cheddar, and barbecue. And uh, I will say this, the consumer is the most hesitant to pick up the barbecue flavor. But it is absolutely my favorite. Oh, really? I don't know what it is about uh, cheese and barbecue together. I'm not sure if people don't expect it to be a good combo, but man, <laughs> well, I love it. Well, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. Two new fans. I'll yeah, tell you that. Yeah, much. I'm going I'm to close. <laughs> I'm going to close this conversation with a, with a with a warning for people who go out and buy these. So, <laughs> mother, mother, father, whoever, whoever it is, you buy them in the store. Buy at least one of each. <laughs> because because they'll be out the window. Yeah. <laughs> really oh, quick. gosh. Yeah. How about uh, we close with your website? Is that a good point of reference for people? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we are available in Hy-Vee stores in the Midwest, all the locations and community stores. We are available on Amazon. Our website is www.chettyscrackers.com. And we are actually getting ready for a big launch in HEB down in down here in Texas, so a uh, majority of their stores are going to be picking up our chetties, and we're really excited for that as well. Well, well it's a, uh, wonder, it's a I'm wonderful story. for you guys, too. Yeah, you must come on back in a couple of years and tell us how you made your first billion dollars. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> we gotta We got to work on our uh, distribution first, but um, we're definitely excited and finally starting to see a few breakthroughs, and it's, it's encouraging, so we're... Yeah. We're happy to to be getting this opportunity. And, and listeners, also check out if you go to the fancy food show, the summer fancy food show. Uh, they'll be there, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and look for them in the startup section, right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, keep well and and keep banging them out. They're great. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thank you guys for having me and yeah. for taking the time to uh, interview and bring me uh, into the, the session. Okay. I had a great time. Ciao, Tomas. Ciao, ciao. Well, do you have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Okay, and, and you guessed it. If you've 
listened to our program with us over the years, you probably you probably know that entering up a program about cheese, we'd have to have a, an interview about something that's not really cheese at all. <laughs> yes, so, I mean, uh, so let's talking so, to, to people like people who are trying to become vegan or if people who have trouble with dairy, the one thing they always say that they miss or they will miss or they most likely would miss is cheese. So here we have... So here's how to not miss cheese. Yeah. It's one hour dairy-free cheese. And if you don't believe me, just listen up and you could do it at home. Claudia, is it Lucero or Lucero? Lucero. Lucero. Um, you've, you've come <laughs> great distances from your early training in um, being a social worker. You have explored a, a very scientifically demanding area of food making called dairy-free cheese. That's right. So you you wrote a book called One Hour Dairy-Free Cheese. So you're also strapping yourself to an easy one hour. Now, the the first question I have is why? (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, it was important to me because a couple of the books that I've seen come out on making dairy-free cheeses really require that you take, um, you know, often weeks and months to ferment and age things. And even though everybody was excited about these books initially, you know, somebody taking these cheeses seriously and making art out of it, um, what ended up happening is most people were intimidated to dive into such a long process. And, you know, also fermenting and aging, there's a lot of um, guesswork involved, some failures. And I thought, well, you know, the people that just need to kind of whip up a mac and cheese for their kid who's lactose intolerant for a regular evening dinner needs an option. So that social worker in me where I want to fill a need came in, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's why I came into this, right. And, of course, your partner also uh, had um, some health issues. Or, uh, that's right. He decided to go on an anti-inflammatory diet and cut out a lot of things, and one of the things was dairy. So that's when it kind of became personal, and they started experimenting more at home. You know, wanting to eat the same meal, I thought, well, this needs to be edible for me, too. So (laughs) I was very motivated to make it taste good and be made with all natural, delicious ingredients. Yes. Now, um, everybody says, like, people who decide for whatever reasons to go vegetarian or vegan, in particular Mm -hmm. vegan, say the hardest thing to give up is cheese. Yes. Yeah, it's such a comfort food. It's so satisfying. It really is a difficult thing to give up. So with the recipes, I really try to hone in on, you know, what is it that we like about cheese? Um, what are the dishes that we really enjoy and would miss if we had to cut out cheese? And so that's why I focus on, you know, like I mentioned, a, a macaroni and cheese sauce, but there's also brie and fondue for special occasions and things like that. Yeah, but we've been munching our way through samples from uh, the mozzarella company and uh, Jasper Hills Farm. They're award-winning cheeses. <laughs> oh yes, delicious. We are not. We are not very vegan around here. <laughs> no, yeah, I understand a, you. Not even a little bit. <laughs> right. So you will be my challenge. You are the people that I love to say. Give one of these recipes a try and see what you think. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the one I started asking you about, what was that, the Swiss cheese? The Swiss. You mm-hmm. make it look like 
with the holes like Swiss cheese. What is it? Does it really taste like Swiss cheese? Well, you know, I'm not a magician, so I did my best, but I have to tell you, Golden Swiss was one of my most challenging recipes, and it just took so much trial and error. And it's because it's a mild cheese. There's not really a really, um, you know, standout flavor that you can say, Swiss cheese tastes like this, right? Right, exactly. What would you say if I asked you, right? So it's a little bit sweet, it's a little bit nutty, obviously creamy, as most cheeses are. Um, and it can be a little bit, you know, more sharp depending on the brand that you buy. Um, but, you know, I took all of these uh, different spices and Dijon mustard and some mild miso paste and some tahini <clears throat> to get it together. And in the end, I thought, gosh, this is a lot of ingredients. But, you know, if, if I removed one or two, it just wouldn't taste the same. So I kept them all in. I'm really happy with the flavor. And then this, the holes were... Um, you know, a funny thing that I decided to add is just a fun section. <laughs> I thought, you know, kids might be doing this, and, you know, maybe adults really miss a, a special sandwich they used to have with Swiss cheese, and they want to see the holes. You know, like I said, it's a comfort food, and maybe we're trying to get back to some of the things that we grew up with. But I thought, why not? But, yeah, it's a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, this is, has nothing to do with anything, but the photo of the uh, Caprese salad, it has those mm. wonderful tomatoes that I adore. They're red and green. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I love, you know, using really colorful produce. And that feeling is kind of throughout the entire book. So in the book I oh, give colorful, the recipe. Yes. Yeah, I, I like to celebrate vegetables. So, you know, in the, in the book I give you the cheese recipe, but also a way to serve it, a serving suggestion. And it's very vegetable heavy. So, you know, it's going to be a healthy meal along with the cheese to make a delicious salad or a nice, um, you know, gratin type of thing using summer vegetables. You know, this this is a book, and if listeners, if you're interested in in attempting this dairy-free one-hour dairy-free cheese, um, it really spells it out. I mean, it's a, it's a manual to a certain extent, um, and it gives you the basics. Uh, equipment, the um, special ingredients, and I must tell you, some of these ingredients I've never heard of. What's that? Yeah, one? Uh, it's an education, isn't it? It certainly is. Okay. And, and and this one, the, the kappa carrageenan. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, too. I thought, I thought am, I, am I going to eat something that has that in it? I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, here's the thing: is I mentioned that in the introduction only because that is one of the main. Um, uh, solidifiers that people use in other books. That is not the one that I chose for this book. Right. I chose one that's been tested for centuries that's made out of a seaweed called agar. Um, oh, sure, but sure. I know, yeah, I figured people would ask me, what about gelatin? What about carrageenan? And so I said, okay, well, here's the deal. This is how they're different. You decide for yourself. There are a couple studies out there saying carrageenan is not good for you. Um, I didn't want to feed that to my family, but, you know, you read the studies. Here is how much you would use if you wanted to use it. And the reason people would want to use it is it melts a little bit more like cheese than agar powder does. So now what you do is instead of dairy, you use things like nuts and seeds um, and uh, even beans. Right. And 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 vegetables vegetables. and starches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the most important things I wanted to 
feature in this book is a lot of alternatives to nuts because so far the dairy-free cheese community has really focused on nuts, and so many people have nut allergies. And again, that social worker in me thought, well, okay, I need to offer an alternative. You know, there has to be access to something different. So um, whenever I do suggest a nut, because I feel like, for example, the mozzarella, I think, is wonderful using macadamia nuts. But if you can't have macadamia nuts, maybe you can have um, sunflower seeds, or if you can have some nuts but not others, maybe you're okay with cashews. Um, so there's always a substitution given, especially for the things that are, um, you know, potential allergens. Now, you, you said that beans, which are a staple, of course, of the vegetarian diet, do, don't exactly work well. Beans, did you say? Yeah, you, you, you said white, white, conventional white beans were fine, but some of the other beans you were not so pleased with. That's right. I tested a lot of beans because I've seen some recipes out there using garbanzo beans and things, but the only bean that I found suitable because I am a dairy lover and a, a real cheesemaker were the white beans, so the cannellini or the navy beans, Great Northern, that kind of thing, because they're so, so mild in flavor. They're not extremely um, beany like in, in texture like a garbanzo bean is. For me, the garbanzo beans and lentils and things like that were just too pronounced and you know I encourage people to experiment if they just love that or you know if they're going to make like a nacho cheese for example and they don't mind a bean undertone to their cheese then that's perfectly fine but if you really wanted to make it like to turn out like the dairy then I give you the suggestions for you know what I think is best. Now you have step-by-step execution directions in this photos for every step. Every step. And then, and so, yeah. as you can look and see what, at each stage, whatever you're doing is going to look like. Exactly. Am I doing it right? Is this how it's supposed to be? Because it's a foreign process to a lot of people, you know. So I wanted to make sure that they had that confirmation. And it's almost like having a class for every single recipe. You just, just flipped by one there. Go back a couple of pages to the, to the truffle. Was it truffle cheese? I missed that. Brie. Truffle cheese. Brie. What's that? The black and oh, white truffle cheese. Oh, I missed that. Right? Do you actually use black and white truffles or do you use a substitute? Yes. Well, I used um, black truffle salt, I believe. I'm trying to flip to the right page myself, too. And I used the white truffle oil. So 45. That's made up the 35? 45. 45. I mean, yeah. 45. Okay. 45. We're almost there. Yeah, so that gave that brie that wonderful earthiness, that kind of almost moldy flavor, you know, um, that we we come to accept with brie. But when you're trying to create a moldy flavor in something that's not actually <laughs> aged, mm-hmm. you don't want to add it in a bad way. So I decided to go for this kind of earthy flavor that truffles give us. So there are a lot of really great ways to play with those flavors with real food. Um, you have a lot of suggestions about um, the molds to use um, to, to yes. shape them like cheese and also how to That's simulate right. rind. Um, yes. To be really honest, I, don't you think that's sort of like non-alcoholic beer? It's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, you know, imagine if you just could not digest cheese. And you just really, you know, you want something for crackers and a glass of wine, and you think, well, let me give this a go. This looks like it has real food. It has, 
You know, it has cashews, it has potato, it has truffles. I like all those things. Let's see no, what it I turns out like. No, I think that's fine, but can't you call it something else? <laughs> oh, what could I call it? It's I the thing. Know. You know, all, all my cheese friends have the same argument. You know, I get, I get um, definitely some eye rolls from that end. But <laughs> it, at the end of the day, I think, well, what do you want me to call it? A creamy wheel? Hold on a second. We touched, we touched on something that's very important. What, yes. What, I don't know if this is in the book or not because I didn't read that far, but. What do you drink with it? What do you what do you drink with fake cheese? Well, according well, to the flavors, whatever. That's right. Since I tried to replicate the flavors of the actual cheeses, I would say pair it exactly with your favorite beer or your favorite wine that you would normally pair that um, cheese with. Okay, so it's a, so this it's got it's it's got something going for it anyway. <laughs> it does. Uh, yes. The, uh, yeah. You can you can tell I'm unconvinced. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand, and believe me, coming from a cheese-making background, I, this is something that I expect, but uh, mm-hmm. you would be surprised at how many of my cheese-loving friends have been texting me photos like, okay, I tried it, you told me to, I can't believe it's good. Oh, really? <laughs> I see, I, yeah, I think that it's a, the, the, the flavors sound like they might be pretty good, um, but it's, it's I think uh, it's some kind of a strange... Uh, I don't know. It just seems a It's the idea of an imitation or something like that, that, right? Yeah. No, no, I understand. And I think, you know, if you can enjoy cheese, then go for it. I'm not trying to yeah. convince you to switch. That's not something that I'm doing. I'm trying to provide a good option for people right. that want it. Now, I might mention that you also have some very useful information in here about uh, basic fermentation, lacto-fermented yes. vegetables, yes. sauerkraut, a juvelac I never heard of. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I can tell you about that one. So I love fermentation. You know, fermentation is so key in traditional cheese making and that lactic acid flavor that you get when you make sauerkraut or fermented pickles and things like that. That same lactic acid is what you normally get in regular cheese making. So I wanted to add that flavor to these cheeses in a way that was natural and delicious. So the reason I included that in here is because, like, for example, with my feta recipe, I actually use a little scoop of sauerkraut, blend it up um, right along with the nuts and all the other flavorings, and that adds that tanginess and that fermented flavor that you would get normally with feta. You so you can do the same. What was that? You better watch out. Those Greeks will be after you. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, they really protect their, their feta, don't they? Oh, yeah. I don't blame them. Big, big time. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't blame them, but again, you know, this is a way to have it if you just can't. And so, I've had a couple of Greek people come up to me and and thank me for the feta recipe. It's it's a tricky one. A lot of the feta recipes that you find out there are made with tofu, which you know, just no matter what you do to tofu, it's not going to taste like feta. <laughs> so this comes a bit closer. <laughs> I, I just I don't want to be anywhere near tofu. I do you really? Do you not like tofu even in this like traditional? Tofu. I don't like oh, tofu. That's, yeah. Well, but, you know, I'm, it's really mainly that people tend to uh, do things like uh, grease it up, frying it and stuff. Oh, like that, got it. Know. Yeah. Oh, well, a nice, simple, soft tofu in a miso soup in a Japanese restaurant, I think it's so delicious. Oh. Well, congratulations on all this effort you put into this. And, and I, hope you <laughs> I appreciate a, <laughs> it. Again, it's called One Hour Dairy-Free Cheese, and it's yes. Claudia Lucero, 
from Portland, that's Oregon. Right. Well, and, she, and, that's and where she lives right. now. And it's a book. Somebody, somebody just had to write it. Yes. <laughs> Someone had to write it. Okay, yeah. well, I will take that as a compliment. Well, I appreciate your curiosity, nonetheless. <laughs> Claudia, <laughs> thanks. You're so much fun to talk to. Thank you. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So what will we come up with next week, listeners, and on the menu radio? Well, I guess if you want to find out, you'll have to tune in. Just like you always do, we'll be looking forward to hearing from you once again. So until next week, again, happy Passover, happy Easter. Bye-bye.